0: Amen. Good morning, guys. Uh, Kids, you can go ahead and be dismissed to your class. If we haven't met yet, my name is Jared. I'm on staff here. I help with uh, setup, some admin-type things that I kind of do during the week. Uh, And another thing that I get to be over is our our leadership pipeline, right? This is our program where we help train and equip and guide the next generation of uh, church planners, church leaders, missionaries, that kind of thing. And we just started this next year pipeline this last week so that you're kind of aware of everybody that's in it, be praying for these guys. This year we have, we have nine people participating total. And so in this first year, you don't have to come up or raise your hand or anything, but just so you know, this first year we have uh, Hannah Eckerman, Grace Davis, Casey Kogishow, uh Gabe Jolly and Cohen Ray. And then continuing through the program in their second year, we've got uh, Joel, Lawrence, Nate, and Maggie. Sorry I didn't say your last names. You all have common names. Everybody knows you. Uh, But we're super excited for these guys and their commitment to the local church and serving through this way. Uh, And a couple announcements real quick before we get going. Uh, First, family night. Right, This is going to be on September 10th, next Sunday, from 5 to 6.30. It's going to be here. Uh, And this is for anyone with kids, all ages. We're inviting you just to come We're going to eat, we're going to play games, we're just going to hang out. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up through the link on our website, or it'll also be out in the email this week. Also, speaking of kids, if you have kids who stay with us here in the service, uh, we will. We're, one of the new things we're starting is we're going to create notes and guidelines for them so that they can help stay connected during the service, and we have those for kids third through fifth grade. Uh, if they're interested in those, those will be at the kids' check-in table, so right out in the hallway to the left, you'll see it there, um, or if you're like me and just have trouble paying attention, those are also available for you, so... So today's the day we're finally starting Ephesians. If you were here with us the last couple of weeks, uh, Stephen finished up on this mini-series that we're, we were doing in Acts, right? To understand the story of Ephesians, we have to understand the context and what was happening. Uh, and so last week, Stephen covered four chapters. It was very impressive. Uh, this morning, we will be covering just the first two verses of Ephesians, uh, just a doozy of a passage. Um, and so the reason, one of the reasons that we do this, the way that we preach short passages like that, is that we put this very high emphasis on Scripture, right? And the reason that we do this is that we believe that when we read the Bible, we are reading the literal words of God, right? They were written by human hands with human thoughts and ideas, yes, but they were inspired through the Holy Spirit. So when we read uh, words from Paul or Luke or Moses, any of these guys, we are reading human words, right? But the end product, the, the, the actual Bible itself, comes to us in a way that God completely intended word for word, how he wants us to know him. So that's why we preach through the Bible like we do, word for word, verse for verse, uh, because we believe that what the Bible has to say is much more important than what we have to say about it, right? It also keeps us from heresy and mistakes, so thankful for that. So I'll go ahead and read the first two verses for us and pray, and then we'll kind of jump in. So Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for getting us time to study it and come to know you better. Uh, I pray that as we are here listening to you, that you will help us understand more about you, that you will uh, be with our ears and our hearts as we, we come to know you more, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we need to ask ourselves this morning, and hopefully what we'll answer is, why does the Book of Ephesians matter to us? Right? And simply put, the book of Ephesians is this beautiful explanation of the gospel and how we have this right relationship with God through the death of His Son and resurrection Jesus, and how we should live in light of that truth. And so even though it's short and straightforward, it's immensely important in how we understand who Christ is and how we live in regard to that, right so uh, Klein Snodgrass, he, he put it this way. This is one of the commentators we've been reading a lot of. Is Pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document ever written. So even though it's very short letter and it was written thousands of years ago, right? we still believe that the truths in Ephesians are still relevant to us. And we we get this cool structure that Paul kind of built in. So the first few chapters we see this, he builds this basis of the gospel and the explanation of how we understand Jesus and who he is. And then the second part of it is this, this is how you live based off of who you understand Jesus. So he understood the gospel, not just has a, a cool fact or cool stories to learn, but more of this is something that, affects your life. This is something that should change you and create in you new life, right? So what I'm hoping to do is kind of create this framework for how we're going to read and study through Ephesians this semester, or really how to read any epistles, and then we'll kind of work through some of these major themes that we're going to see throughout this next few months. How all of this was done only by grace, and how we live to be like Christ because of it. So I want to start with kind of building this framework, right? So when we read any book of the Bible, uh, there, there's certain questions that we have to understand to get the context of what's going on, right? Who wrote it? Who was it going to be for? Why did they write it? And this is kind of a freebie because we should understand this pretty, pretty easily, but what kind of literary genre is it, right? So uh, the Bible is a book. It's a beautiful book written, inspired by God, but at the same time, it has literary uh, um, functions that we kind of understand and might study, right? So you've got different genres. You've got poetry, history, narrative acts. You've got uh, prophecies, and what we're le- reading today, letters, right, the epistles. And so we have to understand that there's differences in these different types of genres. So, for instance, I see this very I- easily with, like, when we're studying narrative or historical accounts versus epistles. So uh, there's a story in the Old Testament in Judges um, about this guy named Jephthah. I know I'm not saying this right, but I'm just going to roll with it. And right, it's this story where Israel was going to war with the Ammonites, and Jephthah, who was getting ready to go in and lead these people, he vowed this, this vow to God. He said, anything that comes out of my home when I return, that I will sacrifice to you, God, if you help us in this fight. So they go to battle, they win, and he comes back home, and when he comes back, the first, thing, first person that greets him out of his home is his daughter, his only daughter. And so he, he keeps this vow and, and sacrifices his daughter. And so, and, and this is a moment where this historical event is being described, it's being told to us, right? It's not something that's being commanded or prescribed to us, right? If you uh, have read through the Old Testament, you, you know that God hated child sacrifice. He abhorred it, right? This is the reason that Israel was challenged and commanded to, to wipe out the Canaanites, is because they were doing this evil. And so uh, we understand that there are instances like that where something is just being described and told to us, right? That's that historical nature. But, but when we have something like the Ephesians, where it's this epistle, it's much more straightforward. It's something that we can take uh, a much more face value, right? Because uh, when Paul tells us about who Jesus was and how to live. He isn't telling us like this is a good suggestion, right? These are this is how we live based off of what we understand. It's like an instruction manual, right? In the same way that we might read how to put together one of those IKEA bookshelves, this is something similar to that, and that's why we have to realize that that this is uh, genres come into play here, right? Uh, the the next thing that we kind of have to realize about Ephesians is that we are reading someone else's mail. Uh, All of Paul's writings, most of the New Testament, are letters. They're epistles that were going to specific people with a specific purpose at a specific time. And all of these writings come, of course, with a certain context or situation that the authors or the recipients would understand and know of. It was a continuing conversation. It wasn't just like Paul parachuted in with this brand new idea, but this is something that he would have talked to them and mentioned to them before while he was there with his, um, his missionary journeys. Right? It's kind of like that dorky thing that they do on, on TV when you've got two characters in the same room, and one of them takes a very loud phone call, right? Like, hello? Yes, this is Jared. Yes, I'm with Bob. His mom died in a car accident, right? That's kind of what's going on here. We kind of get the second part of that conversation from context clues. So we have to kind of watch out for that. And sometimes we kind of get this point, right? Um, A good example that we'll kind of see in a few weeks when we get to Ephesians 2, Paul says this, he says... Uh, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, right? So this is one of those instances where Paul is telling a people a specific thing to do, right? But later, if you keep reading through the Bible, you get to the book of James, and James says in chapter 2, faith without works is dead, right? So you've got these two biblical authors saying two seemingly contradictory things, and you have to kind of put them together, right? The Bible isn't contradicting itself here. It isn't saying one thing is important to the other is not important. What's going on is that this is a part of two different conversations, right? And the same way that you might tell one person it's okay to have a beer every now and then, it's okay for some people, but for an alcoholic, probably wouldn't tell them that. That's kind of what's going on here. And so in all of this, uh, we, we have to realize that it takes time, it takes effort to figure out what all of this means. Why the heck are two biblical authors seemingly contradicting each other? What's the deal with the Bible doing this? Uh, what I can promise you is that it is worth taking the time to figure this out. It's worth studying and meditating and going through the Bible, right? If we believe that it is the actual Word of God, our Creator, the one who has infinite knowledge, the one that understands how we work and how things go together, uh, more than that, He's one who loves us, who wants good for us, who, who died for us, then why else would we not want to spend time doing that, right? Nothing can compare to to the worth of knowing who God is and knowing Him more. The next framework that we have to pay attention to is the author, right? The author of Ephesians most likely was Paul. I, I agree, I think it's completely Paul. Um, if you read a lot of scholarly books, some people will, will kind of argue through it, saying he used impersonal verbiage, or if he was really there for years, he should be have more personal details, right? But when we look at the accounts of the early church, right, Ephesians was almost unanimously credited to be written by Paul. Nobody doubted that Paul wrote this, and, and we should kind of trust this for two reasons. One, uh, if the early church existed in the same context of Paul, if they were there much closer to the timeline, then they would know more about what's going on, right? We're only talking about 40, 50 years, super small difference. We can trust their decision because they were literally there. They, they knew what was going on. And second, most importantly, the letter directly tributes Paul to writing it, right? If you can't trust what the letter says about the author, then why really trust anything else that it says, right? It starts creating this hole in this argument that you can kind of go circle around and around and around. And so why listen to a letter in the first place that lies about who wrote it in the first line? It doesn't make much sense. So we have Paul, this author, this this old guy from centuries ago, and if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been studying who he was, what his story was, right? He was a Jewish man who, before he came to know Jesus, he was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians until one day when he was on the road to kill more Christians, right? He physically saw Jesus. And after this radical conversion Paul changed his life. He started preaching the gospel, making much about Jesus was, right? He he started going to foreign countries as missionaries. He was flogged, he was stoned, he was beaten to death. He was or almost to death. And finally he was imprisoned. He was put in jail and died for the sake of the gospel. And if you miss those last couple of weeks, we've got those up on our podcast that you can, you can catch up on those. So I won't be going into much detail about Paul's story, uh, but one thing that I do want to point out here is the way that Paul addresses himself at the beginning of the letter, right? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right? This, this word apostle, it's kind of like a title, it's kind of like a, a job title, what he did. It's similar to how we might understand how the Catholic Church uses the word saint, right? But it's different. Uh, An apostle was someone who had physically seen Jesus. They were physically there when he was on earth. Some of them uh, would see him after he was resurrected, right? That's the main point here. But with the word apostle, um, we we have to understand that Jesus gave them certain um, important roles. They were given authority for the church. They were told to go and lead the church, to guide the church, to teach them. And so with this title came the special authority, this knowledge of Jesus of what he said, right? So this is different. When I speak about who Jesus is and how I understand him, that's because I've, I've gotten this, this second-hand source, right? I've read the Bible. I understand who he is. I've, I've lived a lifetime with him. But when the apostles would speak about Jesus and repeat the words that he said, it was different because they were literally there. They knew the words because they would hear them. And so we get this more primary source of that's helpful for us with the apostles. Again, something that we can trust because they were literally there. Another reason that this is important is because of the one that calls Paul to be apostle, right? It says again, uh, Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So when we read the commands that Paul gives us, when we see his letters, it's not just some old guy from two centuries ago telling you this, but it is the very words of God. And that's why we treasure this book, right? That's why we're spending three months studying something that should probably take 30 to an hour to read, right? And also we see Paul is just this great example of what it means to live a faithful life to Jesus. He's something that we we can uh, draw inspiration from, somebody that we see living the life well. The next thing that we have to look at is who is Paul writing this letter to? It was clearly written for the city of Ephesus, but most likely this was a letter that was kind of circulated, right? So instead of uh, Paul writing a letter to, say, the branch church, right? It's more like he's writing it to all the churches in the north Georgia region. So they had this, this letter that would be circulated in this area. And the city of uh, Ephesus in this region, right, if we study it and look at it, it helps us understand what the people were like and kind of help to get that second part of the conversation, right? So turn with me to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be in verse 11. This should also be on the screen behind me. Acts 19, verse 11, and it says this, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So what we see about this culture of Ephesus is that it was kind of steeped in paganism, right? This was, uh, Ephesus was a big port city kind of in modern-day Turkey, kind of going to Asia, right? So think like Western Asia, kind of across the Mediterranean from, from Greece. And so this was the center place for all kinds of pagan worship, right? You had worship of the Roman Empire, uh, the Roman Emperor, right? There was the great temple of Artemis. This is a huge building, right? Think about, like, bigger than a football field, 60 feet high. Just this massive part of the city of Ephesus that was created for this pagan worship. And this was actually, like, a huge part of what we see. So if you keep reading through Acts 19, you get to this, this story where uh, the tradesmen, right, they made their living off of this pagan worship. They started to become angry because of what the believers in Ephesus were doing. They were affecting the life so much in their city for the sake of the gospel that they changed entire trades, right? And that's something that's important to see about the people in Ephesus. Um, people were burning their possessions. They were giving up their livelihood for the sake of following after Jesus. And it wasn't like this was after years and years of years of knowing Him, right? This was after a couple of months. This was after a couple of years of of God working in the city that they became to to know Him and immediately follow after Him, right? This would kind of be like if all the students came together and. Burnt their textbooks, um, which when I was in school I kind of wanted to do anyway. Or if we burn the buildings we work in, the shops, we, the stores that we shop in, I'm not saying to go and do this. That would be arson. That would be wrong. Uh, but you get the point that um, these people were radically changed for the sake of the gospel. And this is what Paul would later title uh, them. This is why he would later call them the holy ones, the saints who were in Ephesus, who were faithful in Christ. Because when they heard the gospel from Paul, they didn't just think, cool story, let's move on. They thought, we need to change our lives, right? We need to become worthy of him who we follow. We need to become more like him. They recognized the worth of Jesus. They recognized that he was so much better than than their riches or uh, this pagan dead God that they worship. They recognized that he was worth so much more, and they did whatever they could to do that. And that's the beauty of what the gospel does, right? It's not just something that we read and absorb, but it's something that changes us. And this is what happens with the Ephesians. God creates in us this new life. He gives us new desires, right? We keep, uh, In a few weeks, we'll see that Paul uses the words, right, you were dead. You were no longer living. And Jesus comes, and he gives us this new life that we didn't have. And that's a major theme that we see here continue in Ephesians, how we are to live in response to the gospel, Right? The saints of, of Ephesus help us see that and understand that it isn't some small change, but it's radical change in your city. So, I kind of want to circle back and, and, and visit my original question, why does the book of Ephesians matter to us? Right? It's because this is the story of the gospel, right? The good news that, that Jesus came for us, that he, he died for us, that He came and lived for us uh, so that we could be have this right relationship with God. Someone so perfect and precious would give up something so infinitely valuable to save something so wicked and rebellious, to save us. And this wasn't out of a selfish desire because he would gain something from it. Jesus did this freely based off of the character that he is, off of who he is. And Jesus is most worth following, not because of what we can get from him, but what he has already given us because of his goodness, because of his love. Ephesians matters because it helps us to see this, and it helps us in following Him. So, we look this last couple of weeks, uh, but in, in Philippians 3, Paul says, uh, I count everything as garbage in order that I may gain Christ, right? And he meant this literally, right? Not as a metaphor, not as a comparison this was a man that rightly recognized who Jesus was, right? And in the story of Acts 19, you see him trying to rush into the crowd and tell people more about who Jesus was, right? They likely would have killed him, but he was freely doing this. He would live so deeply with Christ that, that he started to resemble him, and that's what we're called to do. So uh, when, when, what Paul means when he writes this letter to the saints in Ephesus in Christ, right, He lived so closely with Jesus that this started to become uh, his identity, everything that he was about. And and same with the Ephesians, right? They didn't just live in the city of Ephesus; they didn't just live in this place, but they started to live in Christ. They started to become so much more about them. What they—it was more important than where they lived, what they did for a living, their major. Right? Being in Christ became the center of their lives. All of this not because the Ephesians did something right, but because the grace that God had given them. And the word that Paul uses here for the word grace is is really cool. It's the word for gift. And he spent a lot of time looking at why he uses this word gift and looking at the culture of gift giving in in this day, right? And it's similar to how we give gifts, but kind of different. And and he understood that… God was the ultimate gift giver, that he gave things freely, that he gave things super abundantly, that he gave this, this gift to us so much better than we could ever understand. And so when it comes to living in Christ, right, that's the study of Ephesians. That's what, what it gives us and what we, we can hope to understand out of these next few months. So I want to I leave us here from a, a passage out of Romans 6. You can turn there or, or it'll be on the screen behind me. So, Romans 6, starting in verse 5, Paul says this, "'For if we have been united with him in a death like this, "'we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. "'We know that our old self was crucified with him "'in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, "'so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. "'For one who has died has been set free from sin.' Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. That's what this is all about, that, that God has brought us to himself, that he has given us peace with him, right? He's given us this right relationship, this right standing so that we can have peace with Him, that we can be free from sin, free from death, that we will have resurrection and live with Him eternally. And that's the, the blessings and the promise that we're given here. And so I, I, I want to just leave us there as we're, we're prepare for a time of communion, a time of remembrance of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Um, we ask that if, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you you stay and you sit and you think about who He is and what He has done for us, right? We'll have some of us off to the side over here, kind of near the stage or the scoreboard. I don't remember. We'll say over there. Um, If you look for somebody to pray for, we'd love to pray for you guys um, just so we can go to a time of communion. Quick little logistics, practical steps for communion. It's in the front, right? So we'll kind of go this way, lines. You can go on either side, but we just ask that you take your time, right? There's no, no need to rush. We aren't trying to have two songs, and you have to be done by that time. If you're taking communion while we're packing up, that's okay. If you're taking communion as Jonathan's ending the first song or starting the first song, that's okay. What we want is uh, for you all to take a time to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us and to, to worship him rightly, right? That's what this time's for. So I'll pray for us, and the table is ready. Father, I thank you for, for all that you've done for us. I thank you for your son, how he came and lived for us so that we might know you more, that he died and sacrificed himself to cleanse us of our sins, Father. I thank you for that. Thank you for these words given to us by Paul, how we have peace with you because of the work of your son, how we have this freely from you, Father. How, how we can live as a life dedicated to you because of this and how we become one with your Son who is perfect and beautiful. I pray that as we just go out this week, that as we start the study on Ephesians, that we will learn much about you and who you are and what you've called us to do. I thank you for all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.